welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast, with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine. Okay, ladies, so I have particular words and the definition behind the words that often rumble around in my head and I get confused and I think about them, I dwell on them and things like, like the word hope. Hope is one of those words that I go back and forth on and hope for what? And hope, and why do I have to have hope? And do I really have to have hope? But Kayla, you came up with one of those words that rumbles around in my head and said, let's talk about that today. So could you tell us what the word is and all about it? Well, it's interesting that you should say that because the word that I want us to discuss today is expectations. But I actually think that hope is somewhere buried in there. So we might have to talk about hope as well. But we're going to start with the expectation and see where it leads us. So, Lori, if you could just unload your brain about where it's been rambling about expectations. What are your thoughts about expectations? Well, you said something earlier. Give us a definition. I don't actually have a de- definition, but but there's a quote from Anne Lamont, which I think actually sums it up well, which is, expectations are resentments under construction. Okay. And I like to thank some of our group members for bringing up Anne Lamont this week, but that that's the thing. Expectations are resentments under construction. Okay. Especially, I think, in this circumstance. Yes. And this was one of the things early on in my journey that, This was kind of like false in the unsolicited advice category, as well as professionals, right? A lot of professionals would tell me, well, don't have any expectations because you're going to get resentful. No expectation, no expectation. And I would go back and forth with, what do you mean don't have expectations? Yeah, I have to have expectations. And that was one of the things when my kids were growing up that was discussed as a parent that you should have, this was a bit of parenting advice. You should have high expectations, (laughs) right? And now you're telling me I should have no expectations and I'm just totally confused. And since then, I mean, I've done a lot of, I ponder these things a lot and I've thought a lot about expectations. And now I've landed on my own belief system as far as expectations go. And I think it's a combination of of these short little anecdotal pieces that we're talking about when we're talking about expectations. Yeah. And just to go back to the definition, I think that expectations are assumptions about what should happen, how people should behave, what you're hoping, there we go, I'm using the word hope, what you're hoping is going to actually happen. But we don't think of it as hope with expectation because it feels like it's more like a reality of what should be. You know, and I think that's interesting that you're using the word high expectations um, or the phrase high expectation because high expectations about what you are expecting. And then we look at the other person and it's not necessarily, my daughter has taught me this, by the way, because you know, here I am, I'm expecting to be a particular kind of parent and to have this parenting skill set. And then my daughter's going to wind up a particular way. And then I have this daughter who's born, like, I just want, you know, I'm a reader, writer, whatever, a wordsmith. 
as best I can as a person from Brooklyn from working class background, but I try. But then I'm born, then I have a child who does not speak for the first two years of her life. She grunts, she points, she, you know, <laughs> and she makes up words that don't fit with what actually is going on. And we find out seven years later that she's severely dyslexic. So all of my ways of being in the world were not her skill set. So I felt completely set up. It's like, and people are like, you need to speak to her and you need to describe things and you need to ask her questions. All the things that I do every day, all day. And she just didn't respond. So I was like, oh my God, I'm out of my league here. I have no idea how to do this. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Here's a question for you. How did that make you feel as a mother? Oh, I, I, as a parent, did it make you feel like it was your fault because you weren't doing something correctly? Absolutely. And I also felt inadequate because when I realized that her brain did not work like mine did, then I'm like, well, how, what's the access point? How do I engage? How do I find out what she wants, what she's thinking, what she needs? Because the irony, and I think that this is a really good segue for a lot of folks, is that when people come onto the planet with their way of being in the world, if we don't understand it, there's all these misses. You know, like if you have somebody who comes in who's highly reactive, and I do think that people are born that way. I think there are some people who are extremely sensitive. There are people who are very, very reactive to the world because it's just difficult for them to navigate. And that's not your way of being, or maybe it is your way of being, but that doesn't mean you know how to handle it. We wind up missing each other because it's like, I don't know how to, how to help you when this is how you're wired. And I feel like what I try to work with with my expectation of myself is to try to understand her as much as I could. And that became my expectation, not for what she was going to be able to do, because truthfully, once I found out that she was as dyslexic as she was, I was terrified. I'm like, this girl's not going to be able to, like, I saw this dyslexia, this movie about dyslexia, and they showed this kid that was like 15 years old, and he went to a store, and he couldn't make change. And that just penetrated, because I'm like, you have to be able to function in the world. I don't want you to be taken advantage of. And I completely freaked out and thought, I need to prepare her for baseline functioning in the world. And that became my motto, baseline functioning. Baseline, that became my expectation, that you can make change, like literally. And, and that's what I started to work on, as opposed to she's going to be a rocket scientist. And by the way, she's in nursing school right now. For me, which I think I'm saying the exact same thing, just in a different way, I learned, what I learned was I couldn't tie the expectations into the outcome of the behavior of the other person, that I could have expectations. One, I needed to have realistic expectations. I call them, you can have pie in the sky kind of expectations, and then nobody can live up to them. That's like a a setup for failure. And then also, let's say you do have reasonable expectations. I can't tie my expectations to being successful or to being positive movement into my loved one or someone else's behavior or, or the outcome of their behavior. I have to learn that 
if I'm setting up a reasonable expectation, I should probably continue to set up that reasonable expectation, regardless of the other person's behavior or ability, because it's also an opportunity for someone else to learn. Like they might not reach that expectation the first time or the second time, but maybe the third or the fourth time they start to get it and they, they do, if that makes sense. Okay. So yes, it makes sense. And also it doesn't, but um, basically when I think of this, what, what I'm hearing you say, cause this is, that's, it's sketchy over here. We're going into the no man's land of expectation here, which is that you have a request or by the way, if you have an expectation that you're wanting the other person to do, number one is you have to communicate it. <laughs> because, oh my God, it's the psychic expectations where we get set up. It's like, oh my God, you need to like keep, like I just had this conversation with folks where there's two different expectations about how the house should be taken care of. Okay, so what's a neat and tidy or organized or acceptable expectation for how your house is are going is going to be different for everybody who lives in the house. And so so part of it is to communicate, but also if you like it a particular way and and let's say you like it really spotless and I feel like this in my house it's like when nobody's home the house is unbelievable. As soon as somebody walks in, it's over. And so I'm constantly managing my expectations about this. Like I have a shoe thing. It's like you put your shoes in a particular place. You just don't leave them where you took the, take them off. Not everybody agrees with me on this one. And so a lot of expectations are about basically navigating it with other human beings who do not, who do not share your expectations. Can I share a quick story based on that? When I started to kind of recognize that within myself. So I had gone to an Al-Anon meeting, actually, where in, in this Al-Anon meeting, crosstalk was allowed. Interesting, but crosstalk was allowed. And there was a lot of discussion about things our loved ones should recognize and do. And can you believe they're not doing it? Like they should recognize this. They, And I sat and I thought about it and I thought, wait a minute, right? Like, wait a minute. If we're not telling them, we're not setting it up clearly. Why do we expect them to understand and read our minds that this is what we want them to do? And then we think poorly of them when they don't do what we think they should be doing. So and then what ended up happening is I, within the week, it was snowing outside and my son was at home with me, living at home. He had gotten out of bed kind of a little late and my husband had suited up, put his snowsuit on and, you know, he's in his sixties and he's out there shoveling the snow and it's wet and it's heavy. And I'm standing in the window doing dishes and my son is standing there also with his cup of coffee, looking at my husband shoveling the snow. <laughs> Everybody's laughing. And I'm standing there thinking in my mind, come on, get out there and help your father. And then I realized I'm doing it. Uh-oh, I'm doing it. I'm expecting him to look at his dad, see what's going on, recognize that his father needs help. And he's not doing it. What a jerk. <laughs> like, I can't believe this, right? Like, what's wrong with him? And instead, I said, okay, reframe the story, Laurie. In your head, he doesn't know. 
he doesn't know that that's an expectation. And so I turned to him and I said, oh, I worry about your dad. You know, he's in his 60s. He's got high blood pressure. I worry about a heart attack with him out there shoveling snow. When you get a chance, could you suit up and just get out there and help him? And just, I just worry about his health. No problem. He went, oh yeah, absolutely. Drank that coffee down, went and got um, his snowsuit on and headed out and started shoveling snow. So it was like, oh my gosh, it became so much clearer in my mind that I had to be clear with him how unfair of me to expect him to live up to my expectations. And I hadn't even told him what those expectations were. But how typical to have let it go all that way in your head to the point where you re- you were resentful and you thought he was being inconsiderate. And I mean, you you had it all figured out, you know, how fast that story emerged. And that is by the time you open your mouth, it's it's hard to be as neutral as you were. Well, and I think I think there's another pattern that goes on here because this is not just about any particular person. We do this with lots of people. And this is the advantage I have of being a relationship therapist because I feel like I am like Oz. I get to see behind the curtain. I'm not Oz. I'm the person who opened the curtain. Um, <laughs> Dorothy. Yeah, I'm Dorothy. Exactly. Or probably more like Toto. Because um, <laughs> I do think Toto was one that ran behind the curtain. <laughs> he did. He did. So, so, so this is a great skill to have in all of your life because- It's the one thing that I see that happens even in marriages and relationships is that people have expectations and then they become chronically disappointed, which brings up chronic resentment. And then it's poison, it's toxicity. So there's a a few things that what Lori is talking about that matters is number one, you ask, okay? You specifically ask, and it's not like this is gonna be a global thing. Like every time it snows, I'd like you to go out and shovel. That's unrealistic expectations. But when it's snowing, if you're there, or let's say you actually left the house and you know your loved one is there, you can call them and say, would you mind just shoveling out so I could get to my car or get in without, I'm a little nervous about that. Is that okay with you? I'm also a very strong believer in having a list um, that you leave on a piece of paper on a table or something like that, because it takes away the tension of asking somebody and having them say no. And so the list for me has been my salvation with my kid, especially, and actually my partner too, because then it's like, it's down. And and it's funny because I also feel like we have these like strong needs. Like for me, it's like, if I hang the laundry, I need it taken down before four o'clock in the afternoon, because then it starts getting wet again. And I remember leaving a note for my partner and thinking, She's not going to do it. This is not her thing. She's going to get distracted. And then I keep my mouth shut because I want to ask while I'm at work. Did you remember? Did you remember? (laughs) And that goes in the realm of nagging, by the way. And nagging (laughs) is a very poor tool set to have. It's like nobody wants to do anything if because you're communicating. I don't trust you. I don't believe you're going to do it. You're going to fail you know, you're, you're lazy, whatever. That's what nagging gets explained as by the other person or received as. And so I've been working on my own system to calm myself down and think to myself, okay, if it's not taken down, so what? 
I will take it down and throw it in the dryer or whatever. And I come home, I don't ask. I just kind of look to see if it's in the particular place it might be. And it's almost always there. And I don't know why, but I am shocked every single time. <laughs> don't ask me. But I think it's because I'm not nagging anymore. Because it used to be, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? And oh my God, it just, it's such a horrible thing to do somebody to somebody to ask them a thousand times if they did what you asked them to do. You know, my husband and I had something similar to that and it was the other way around. And I know it's his anxiety, right? It's his own anxiety about getting the garbage down to the end of the street, the garbage and the re recycling. And my husband is away the day that the guy, yeah, Kayla's laughing, the garbage trucks show up for the garbage. And he was doing this exact thing to me, calling me. He would remind me on the weekends when he was home, don't forget the lawn, don't forget the garbage, don't forget to put the garbage out. Don't he would call me every day while he was away. Now don't forget Thursday's garbage day. You have to put the garbage out. You have to put the garbage out. And I started complaining. It was like, you got to stop. I, it, it's driving me crazy, right? You have to stop. But if he stopped and I missed the garbage, then I was in big trouble because then I'm just proving to him that he needs me to remind me to take the garbage out. So at one point I said to him, here's the deal. I said, I know this is your anxiety about the garbage, and you've got to go and work on that on your end of it. I said, but if you call me anymore and ask me to take the garbage out, I'm not doing it. I won't do it anymore. Okay. Now I just want to know, I want to point out that Lori is a highly functional human being. Okay. <laughs> okay. As is her husband. And, and what's interesting is when people come in to my office for couples counseling, it sounds just like this. This is what pe this is. I know we're we're always dealing with oh is the person like using out on the street are they bringing drugs into their house into our house oh you know are they like using in their room or whatever but really what we're talking about is taking out the trash okay and I want us to think about it this way because it seems like we're talking about minutia but minutia is how relationships get created minutia is what creates the expectation Okay. And so what we're describing are dynamics. Okay. And the dynamic is that we're talking about trust issues because what happens is like for your husband, cause I'm, you know, I've been in this position, so we're going to assume that I understand him. But the thing is, if you don't take that garbage out on Monday morning and the garbage truck doesn't pick it up, we're going to have too much garbage and then we're going to owe them $700 or they're going to leave bags there. So for him, we're going in the realm of tragedy. Like for me, <laughs> you leave the laundry up and it gets wet. Then you've defeated the whole purpose and I just wasted all my time. And you hang laundry out to dry, not to moisten. Right. And this was, this really is minutia that has landed us in a therapist's office. This happens to be one of the, one of the pieces. And it's not, I mean, he and I are meant to be together and we're, we're going to stay together. We're just trying to work it through and, fi and figure it out. But on the other end of it, so Kayla was able to so eloquently 
explain what the feelings are and what's going on inside of my husband's head, but also he struggles to understand what's going on, yes. how it's landing and how I'm perceiving it as, and I say it constantly. I say, I'm not an idiot. I am not stupid, right? I am capable. I do not need, you know, and I say it like this, you know, I don't need my mother following me around, making sure I'm getting these things done. It doesn't feel good. It makes me feel very incompetent that you have to tell me seven times during the week to get the garbage down to the curb. And it brings on added anxiety because I know if I miss it, well, see, Right, like you, you are. You are an idiot. <laughs> you are an idiot. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm a human being. And also recognizing that there are things I request of you in the house that don't get done. I don't look at you and think you're an idiot, or you're you need me, or you know, this is all about expectations. And nagging like that tells the person that you really don't think that they're able to follow through on what your expectation is. Oh, Lori, let's just be clear on what you're, you believe that nagging makes the other person thinks you think they're an idiot. Yeah, it feels that way. That's what it feels to all of us. Right. And I try and tell him that because I actually, I don't think he thinks I'm an idiot. Although there are moments, <laughs> there are moments when I think he thinks I don't necessarily think he thinks I'm an idiot, but I do think that he thinks his thinking is superior to my thinking. And that's that's another level of it. But also listen to this, because I want people who are listening to the, to realize that these are normal dynamics that we have with everybody, okay? And even though it feels like the stakes are higher with your loved one that's using or might be sober or clean or not using right now, but... It's the same thing. And so you have an opportunity to work on this with everybody in your life right now. But what makes the expectation so charged in this situation is it feels like life and death. It feels like it's catastrophic. But as we could see, it's like the trash could be catastrophic. Having plates in your room that have food on them feels catastrophic. You know, having somebody not participate in your household feels catastrophic. And I guess the message that we need to communicate is that there are ways to make requests of people that don't make them feel like they're an idiot, that don't make them feel put out, that are reasonable. So, for example, you know, I'm never going to leave a note that says, I want you to like clean the entire house. But I might leave a note that says, would you mind taking the recycling down so that it's a reasonable time-limited and measurable request. And that's, by the way, that is a therapeutic model and that we use as well, that when we're asking for behavior changes, it has to be specific. So it's not like clean up, that's vague. It's kind of like, I want better communication, terrible, vague communication. So what you wanna do is be really specific about what you're asking for so that it's clear to everybody that it got accomplished. Because if it's not specific, Nobody knows what you're actually asking. The second thing is that it's time limited. So like Lori's is a great example is, you know, on Monday morning or Monday morning at four o'clock in the morning because they come at six or could you leave it out the night before with the trash, the laundry, you know, could you take the laundry down by two o'clock or two thirty? So, so that's the time limited part. And the other thing is measurable, which is 
that everybody could see that it happened. Everybody knows based on what you did. So, you know, I like to give the example of when I asked when my daughter was cleaning to pay for her phone before she had a job. I I walked in and I was like, did you did you clean the staircase? Did you sweep the staircase? And she said, yes. And I was like, if I ask you this question, <laughs> that means that you need to actually check it out because it doesn't look like you cleaned it because it's filthy. So would you mind coming back down and just actually trying to do it so that there's not actually dirt on the staircase? And I took it as I wasn't clear enough. And I said, I'm sorry, I wasn't really clear about what I was asking. So would you mind just coming in and trying to get the dirt off the stairs? Because I don't think I was clear enough about that. Yeah, because maybe maybe your daughter perceives that as, oh, she wants me to clear all the, the shoes that are at the, you know, on the bottom step that are supposed to be taken upstairs and put in the closet. Right. Maybe that was the perception. And you meant, yeah, do that, but also get the vacuum cleaner out and get this dirt out of the bottom of the stairs. Right. But you see how I'm taking responsibility, so I'm not dumping on you. Yeah. Or it's like if they were the clothes were wet when I took it down, I'm like, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you that it starts getting damp at three o'clock in the afternoon. That's my fault. I'm really sorry about that. So do you see how it just like it takes the charge out of my not being completely satisfied with what happened? And it takes the blame out of it is what it does. It basically says, oh, it's not you. I guess I wasn't clear enough. Right. I've been saying this for years, Kayla, when we have the evening meetings, I have been saying this from day one, and I say it every time we get into at least the communication module, but often other modules as well. I always say, make it specific and short. And what does specificity and being short and to the point, what does it do? It makes it manageable. Everybody can accomplish it. It makes it much easier to manage it. And it makes it measurable. And why do we want it to be measurable? So that we can reinforce it. So that we can say, you know what? I appreciate it. You heard me, right? And I think the example with my son going out and helping my husband, it's a perfect example because what we're talking about here is I had two choices. I have multiple choices, but I had two choices there. I could either start nagging at him and start, demeaning him what do you you know you're standing here watching your father shovel why don't you get out there and help him right like what's wrong with you or I could make him feel like he could be an important part of the process and he can be have purpose in the house and that we appreciate him and that's who I want to be that's the person I want to be I want to be the one that makes people feel good about themselves or feel better about themselves or is respectful and compassionate when I make a request, not someone that's going to make someone else not feel so great about themselves. Well, and then, and then we're going back to the realm of relationship of having a positive relationship. And that's the goal of all of this. So I think that people think if I ask you for anything that I'm putting it on you or I'm going to be disappointed or it just, it has negative connotations to ask for things. And I know that we're also talking about, so the the other side is this is the day-to-day expectations. And then there's the bigger expectations of like what people are doing in their way of healing and, you know, getting help and getting treatment and staying on track. And I think every time we set ourselves up that it should be a certain way, 
and there's this path, this one-way path that it's going to be, we set ourselves up. And I, I've been working with this woman that has a very serious addiction, and she's been trying and falling and trying, and it's not working out and trying, and she keeps going back to the drugs. And she's chronically disappointed in herself. And the other really, really, really good tool that I use as a power tool is reframing. So reframing is a very good way to deal with your expectations because if everything is a growth opportunity, if everything is an opportunity for like putting building blocks into the process of healing, then if you reframe whatever happens in that realm, then any everything is hopeful. Going back to the word hope. Because people used to say, oh, you have false hope. There's no such thing. It's a, it's an oxymoron. Hope is not about true or false. Hope is this sensation you have that things can improve, that things will be better, that you will feel better, or that things are going to get better. And that's not, you never have to have unrealistic hope. It's just a sensation that you want things to get better. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think it actually holds people through difficult times a lot of the times. But the expectation that it's going to look a particular way is a setup. You know, I wrote a whole piece on this on hope, and which I think is, like you said, it's expectations. I also think that feeling like you don't have any hope is okay. It's an okay thing. And I only say that because there was a time frame when I really felt I, I didn't have any hope. And I, I really, really didn't. And when I expressed that, a lot of people spent a ton of time forcing me to have hope. And it was like, no, now you've made it worse for me because I feel like I, again, I'm incompetent. I don't have hope, right? Like everybody else does. I had even gone into my primary care and was just totally deflated was crying. And I said, I just don't have any hope. She got mad at me. She got really angry at me and was like, oh no, you have to have hope. I disagree with you. And I was like, I, I walked out of the office like, okay, yeah, that, that didn't help. <laughs> it didn't help at all. So I think it's really important for other, for people to recognize you may have moments like that and it's okay, but it's a time to step back again and reevaluate and look at things, look at the minutia because it's within the building of the minutia that hope comes back in. And it's kind of like dropping my expectations of what's gonna happen on the other side actually brought me more hope. Hmm. Yeah, it's such an interesting conversation. I have a, a friend whose son has serious mental illness and she started attending a group for families of seriously mentally ill NAMI, the National Association of the Mentally Ill, put on. And she said, I will never again chase him around the house with the medication. She said, you know, every day I would put that medication and I would say, and I would remind, and I would, because it wasn't that he was an idiot. It was that she knew better that he was going to try to get out of it somehow. You know, there was this whole story in her head about what he was doing when he was avoiding the medication and what he needed to do to stay on course with everything in his life. And it was in that bottle, right? So for her, it was huge. And for him, it became the battle, the unspoken battle, because they didn't talk about it other than her nagging at him. Um, and you can imagine that there were times where he wouldn't take it just 
to get back at her, right? It just like she stopped and she stopped having the expectation that it was her responsibility if she didn't remind and nah, 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 that the whole thing was going to fall apart. She dropped that expectation and she watched herself. And yeah, he didn't take it every day at first, but he, he's been taking it. And, you know, his doctor's more involved in him taking it. And it's like he grew up with and was able to take the medication more like as an adult when she stopped. Right. It's like me in the garbage and my husband in the in taking the garbage out because I told him, stop nagging at me or I won't do it. And that sounds like sounds like the sun. Stop nagging at me. Stop driving me crazy. Otherwise, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to try and not take my meds or the difference in her to have put it down, to have put it down and to see that it wasn't a complete failure. Maybe it was, you know, and she, they'd have to regroup, but to know that, to, to at least put it out there and give him the opportunity to control and maintain his own daily medication. And that's a minutia. That's a small little thing to change. It's big, I'm sure, to mom, right? Uh, mom is like anxiety ridden. I, I can totally relate to that. But it, this is one step, just one step, and you see this change in the sun, and now he's starting to take his meds. He might not be great at it in the beginning and forgets this day or whatever, but he's taken the reins. And I just want to put a little plug in for the people who, let, let's say we're talking about parents in this case, but, or even partners, it's like you have that this hope and expectation that they're going to be independent and successful and healthy and healing. And we have to be careful with that because that's our expectation. And we don't know what where the person is going to wind up, what they're doing, what they need, what they want. And so all of this is about self-regulation on our parts. Okay. If you're the person making the request, it's about calming your system down and not seeing that request as life or death. It's not like, oh, if you let go of the rope, I'm going to die. That's not what we're talking about here. So so we need to regulate our nervous system so that we're not as reactive to this person doing that behavior. We have to ask people in a way that is welcoming and inviting and clear and specific and measurable. And also that that we have to give the person space to create and be what they want to create in their life, even if they're not doing what they want to do, even if they're disappointed, we need to leave it as their disappointment, not our disappointment as well, because that just creates this mess for them. And I also think, you know, I'm thinking about expectations and I'm thinking about the holidays coming up because I think this is a really great piece to have before the holidays, because Oftentimes, if you're hosting, if you're, you know, whatever it is, we often have expectations of what a particular holiday looks like. Kayla's rolling her eyes. I totally get it. I was that person. <laughs> <laughs> I could have guessed that. <laughs> yes, I was. The holidays had to be perfect. And boy, oh boy, is that a setup for disaster. It really is. And I also had to learn to, one, lower my expectations. Actually, I almost have no expectations anymore when I'm going into it. It's more, 
I'm like going to go Zen. You know what? If something gets burnt, I don't care. If the if decoration doesn't get put up, who cares, right? Like I am only going to do what I can do in this particular time frame. But also my expectations of others has also come down. So I love to be in crowds. I love to have lots of family members around. But that's not everybody's experience in the world. Sometimes being in a group can be very stressful for others. And as soon as I took that out of it, I now sit down and just say to everybody, if you need space and time, you need to go in your room for a while, you need to go settle it, whatever it is, you can't come out of the room, you're just too tired, or you're the, it is okay by me, it, it you just do what you got to do to take care of yourself. The other issue was always, I'm kind of like, when we're doing the holidays, and if it's at my house, I'm kind of the center of what needs to happen. And I had to lower my expectations of how things were going to look. So like getting the garbage outside and out of the kitchen or- Are we back on the garbage again? Well, no, or, or doing doing the dishes and drying the dishes and, and putting the dishes away or taking care of the fireplace and getting the fire going. Each person had an individual job and I used to dole it out and I wanted everybody to do it the way I wanted it done. Dominique's cracking up. And then, and then it changed. Instead, I did something similar to what Kayla did. I made a list and I said, who wants to do what? You decide what you're most comfortable with. It worked wonders. What's interesting is everybody picked what I had doled out in the past. Their idea. Right. It was their idea. They they picked what they, you know, what was going to work for them. And then my thing was, if the fire wasn't made at a particular time, I don't care. If it only got made for two hours and it burnt out, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. What's important is we're here. We're together. We're spending time together. And that's it. That's my only expectation but I guess I, I guess there are more expectations. I just don't, if they just don't work out as well, I'm not going to get bamboozled by it or frustrated or, you know, I'm just going to let it go. Or resentful. Or resentful. I'm not going to be resentful. I'm going to be like, okay, well, that's what happened. That's where we're at. Thanks for coming. <laughs> this is not the Laurie show. This is the family. And whatever contribution you've got, we appreciate. And that's where we're at now. So I do think this was a this is a really great topic to discuss just before the holiday season begins because we're really headed into it now. The, the season of expectation. <laughs> season of expectations. I love it. I, I maybe that should be the title of this podcast. <laughs> season of expectations. But also, uh, Kayla, can you kind of wrap up and just summarize what we talked about today? Yeah. So for those of you who have not noticed the theme here, but this is about expectation, which is having a particular set of thoughts about how things should go. And then the ways that we try to manifest our expectations with other people doing what we want them to do could go very badly. And so what we're talking about is managing your nervous system to calm yourself down, having a different tools that you use to ask, to make requests, to ask people to do certain things, but also not superimposing your brilliant 
set of expectations on other people because it might not be what they want, what they need, or what they're able to do at any given time. And that has to be okay because you need to give people room to create their own expectations for themselves and then help them deal with their own expectations. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Great podcast. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.